It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. It is a Monday, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us here on this day. Another hazy day. I was kind of hoping we'd gotten rid of those kinds of things. Lots going on over the next couple hours. We'll report from our departments. Let's begin first with farm and hear what Susan Littlefield has going on. Well, thanks, Scott. Here's what's happening on a midday from the farm team. Alex will kick everything off at 1219 as she speaks with John Linder of Ohio, now president of the National Corn Growers Association. He talks about his backgrounds and his goals into this new year. At 1245, I'll be speaking with FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce as we talk more about CFAP2, looking at it first from a livestock perspective. And then Alex will step back in at 117, talking with John Linder, the new NCGA president, sharing his ideas about ag policy topics, including the RFS and CFAP payments. That's a midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you so much, Susan. I appreciate it. We turn it over to Jason Jorgensen. My goodness, a busy day in sports today, that's for sure. Yeah, there's a lot going on. We'll hear from Nebraska head coach Scott Frost, who has asked, you know, what the last couple of weeks have been like uh, for him. Ironically enough, uh, when they came out with the day that we found out there would be football, that was also the day that he learned that his dad, Larry Frost, had that's right. passed away. So uh, we'll get uh, Coach Frost's thoughts on that. Also, uh, a rare double treat a Monday night football, thanks to COVID. Uh, they pushed back the Chiefs game against Patriots tonight. You can hear that game on the Holdridge area on KUVR. Uh, the other game tonight has Atlanta against Green Bay. So that will wrap up the Monday night schedule as they try to figure out a way to get everything in in these uh, interesting times. Sub-district volleyball, I should say sub-district softball, is underway across the uh, state with tournament games going on in a number of different locations. We will have action this afternoon. On Cami Country at 5 o'clock, we'll have the Cozad-Gothenburg game. Then we will have the championship game at 7. And uh, if Southern Valley Alma is in there, the best way to listen to that would be online tonight at krvn.com. Cami at night doesn't have quite enough push to get down there to the greater Oxford-Alma area. Southern Valley top seed in that yeah. district, right? 24-8. That's pretty good. And... Uh, you know, they've had a wonderful year. They've been on the doorstep here a number yes. of times, unable to push through. New format this year in Class C. You have to win your sub-district. Then after you win the sub-district, then they reseed everything, and then they have a best-of-three district final later on in the week. Interesting. Merrick hmm. Lake Baseball playoffs today, too. Yeah, they be get rolling again. In kind of an interesting neutral site. I'm not sure what that's all Once about. Once again, COVID times. That's true. <laughs> that's that's absolutely true. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Let's take a look quickly at the overnights in the world markets. The Japanese Nikkei was down one, or excuse me, up 123. The uh, Hong Kong, the Hang Seng in Hong Kong was up 304. And London's FTSE was up 40. And the German DAX index was up 139. Right now, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 360 on the news, and hopefully President Trump will be released today. The NASDAQ was up two, is, is up 206 right now, and the Standard & Poor Index is up 48. Uh, real quickly, we'll take a look at the 10-year yield, which is up almost nine points today, a little over nine points, so that is uh, certainly good news there in stocks. Let's uh, now turn it over 
to our good friend, Clay Patton. Hi, Clay. Thank you very much, Scott. And now we're going to go to and talk with Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics. And, Mike, as we see here, a little bit of a split grain market, corn and soybeans lower, wheat moving higher. And maybe this is somewhat of a smaller representation of the broader market picture. But on the supply side, it seems like they're being supported by these fundamentals, currency and weather and the wheat. But then on the demand side, it seems like that's being driven by that macro, that big picture, where we see unknown Chinese buys. They're still on Golden Week holiday. We see the president still having COVID and that sort of stuff. Is it kind of an accurate representation? Yeah, I think so. And I think this is where the trade is kind of feeling, I think, fairly confident in the price that we're at right now, Clay. And I think especially uh, in the corn and beans ahead of Friday's WASD report. And that's one of the things that I wanted to try and make the point on the weekend copy to clients and subscribers was that the supply side is going to be added to in terms of better information in the aftermath of the surprise in the grain stocks report. We also have weather being factored in as we go into the WASD report when it comes to the wheat with the Kansas City wheat, hard red wheat now called uh, up over 2% and breaking through that 525 barrier with the 527 and a half high today and lead month futures. That's a big number for me, especially given the fact that we are heading into the WASD report. So the question becomes if all things go well, and we hope they do with the president being released today, does that give the dollar further downward bias, more inflationary bias, because the Federal Reserve is actively talking today and tomorrow? The Chicago Fed uh, president already talking about wanting to let inflation run harder than what they've ever let it go before. He's talking about even a 2.5% inflation. This all works into the outside markets, which then works into the wheat and some of the key commodities like copper, and I think we're seeing that today. And speaking of that inflation, is that what is favoring downward pressure on the U.S. dollar index, or is this the fact that maybe stimulus talks are being talked about again? I think it's all of the above. Anything that would add fiscal stimulus is inflationary. Anything that would give the Federal Reserve comments an inflationary bend to them since we've been deflationary since the time of Alan Greenspan, essentially. I think these are all good things. We also have a trade deficit, uh, current account deficit, coming up tomorrow for the United States. And if we see another big jump into a bigger negative number from the U.S. current trade deficit, then that would suggest that the dollar is still too high because our imports are outpacing our exports. So these are things that I think are really interesting as we go into the WASD report with weather clearly the biggest driver long term because weather answers a lot of questions as far as whether the the macro really matters that much, whether China cancels purchases, whether other countries have to step it up and buy more, and, and whether a big crop here in the United States is still not big enough because of weather problems are around the world, most notably in South America. In the livestock trade, we do see some nice green on the screen, but realistically no strong gains here. How much of a factor is demand now, especially where we're getting to the fall, we're starting to maybe open up flu season and COVID. Where are traders that are on their thoughts on protein demand? Well, I think it's really important because seasonally feeder cattle kind of top out here in the month of October in the cash market, and we also have a situation where we're going into that holiday buying pattern typically and Thanksgiving with turkey buying. And then you add to that the fact we haven't gotten that extra fiscal stimulus bill here to carry us past the end of September. So I think most, if not all, indicators that I look at for the actual consumption demand, especially the higher prices for some of these key pork cutouts, uh, are suggesting to me that maybe the consumer is going to give some pushback here. So we'll have to watch that in terms of whether the cutout prices lead the fat cattle and the hogs to a topping pattern, which technically it kind of looks like that on the weekly charts, if you ask me. 
Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics. Do remember, trading futures options involve risk of loss. Eleven forty-four. Time for us to check in on weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And uh, the prodigal weatherman has returned. <laughs> Welcome back, Paul. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. Just in time to bring more haze with you. Some very diffused sunlight right now. Exactly. Yeah. Those red sunrises and sunsets going to be back. Looks at least for today. We could see a little bit more of that this week when we get this westerly flow and that smoky haze that we're seeing in the upper levels of the atmosphere. Not necessarily necessarily at ground level so we're not uh, smelling it but it's thanks to wildfires this time around from wyoming and colorado unlike the fires that we the smoke that we were seeing from colorado or california wildfires previously well and it is just it's just bone dry everywhere and that's why you've got red flag warnings out there for a lot of areas too definitely central nebraska and western nebraska into the southwest part of the state northwest kansas under a red flag warning today and of course northeast colorado where they are very very dry right now especially the western half of colorado most of our temperatures currently in the low to mid 60s across much of central and eastern nebraska otherwise the upper 60s to low 70s over northern Kansas on into uh, portions of southwest Nebraska. But we are seeing some upper 70s to around 80 from Imperial into the very northwest corner of Kansas into northeast Colorado. As warm as 81 right now at St. Francis and uh, northwest Kansas and 81 in Ray, Colorado. That compares with 77 at Colby. And then just down the road in Oakley, Kansas, they have a temperature of 68. So some 60s and 70s. Most of the low and mid-60s, though, in central and east Nebraska. For today through the weekend, we will remain sunny and dry as a ridge of high pressure builds east across the plains. Last week, we were under the influence of a trough of low pressure to our east and that ridge of high pressure to our west, kind of in the middle, getting some up and down temperatures. Our temperatures today with this ridge building in, expected to be 15 degrees above average. Fire weather concerns are higher today, especially across the central and west, where humidity levels will be dropping into the teens and low 20s just ahead of a cold front and once again that smoke and haze returning today from wildfires in wyoming and colorado now passage of a weak cold front this afternoon and evening switching those winds around to the north and cooling our temperatures slightly for tomorrow fire weather concerns not as high tomorrow but still near critical levels temperatures for tomorrow through the weekend expected to average about 10 to 15 degrees above average our first rain chances maybe with some thunderstorms could actually arrive with a low pressure trough for next monday but it's not going to be any kind of a long-term rain benefit in the latest long-term forecast our temperatures are likely to stay warmer than normal this weekend all the way through october 18th so a warm start to the first half of october this is in nebraska kansas and the rest of the central and eastern u.s those above normal temperatures to continue all the way through october 18th there are some signs of slightly cooler than normal to seasonal temperatures working their way into the northwestern u.s during the weekend through the 18th, central Nebraska daytime highs are usually in the mid to upper 60s with average overnight lows in the upper 30s to about 40. A mostly dry outlook of below normal rainfall expected for Nebraska, Kansas, and the central and southern plains this weekend through the 18th. Some ideal weather to get that harvest done. Key weather factors impacting the markets include dry weather in the central U.S. and ongoing dryness in Russian wheat areas. Warmer air will continue to spread eastward, reaching into 
to areas of the south, east, and lower Midwest, areas that have been experiencing some cool weather. Late in the week, a new surge of cool air will affect parts of the Midwest and northeast. That will miss us. In the meantime, unusual warmth will persist in much of the west, with record-setting high temperatures extending as far east as the plains. And get this, Scott. Phoenix is, of course, always warm, but they've been really warm lately here. They've recorded a high temperature of 100 or greater for 22 straight days, dating back to September 13th. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, yeah. I'm, so I'm some, moving. Some are not going away anytime soon in Phoenix. In the central U.S., the dry and warm weather this first full week of October will favor corn and soybean harvest. In many areas of the plains, the soil moisture for early wheat development and fall livestock pasture is declining Central Brazil will see chances of rain the next seven days. The rain may start the rainy season and encourage active soybean planting. Central Argentina will only have light rain this next week. The recent drier trend will be watched for the continued effect on crop areas. Russian wheat areas continue to be dry for winter wheat. The Black Sea region has had no more than 20% of its normal rainfall in the past 60 days. Major Russian wheat areas will stay mostly dry through this next week. I was uh, talking to my brother the other day in San Diego, and they were down by the beach uh, riding bikes because it was so hot inland, and it was 108 wow. degrees up in the mountains just where they live. So it's, yeah. Yeah, this ridge of high pressure, it's been a very strong ridge of high pressure. Now that's starting to move a little bit to the east, and we'll be seeing the effects of it. Not the 100-degree weather, but today definitely on the toasty side for this time of year. Well, my son's outdoor wedding is on October 17th, so I'd appreciate it if you keep that dry weather going for us. It looks like it's going to hold. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, krvn.com. John Linder of Edison, Ohio, now serves as president of the National Corn Growers Association. I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting on the Rural Radio Network. As of October 1st, Linder took over as president following Kevin Ross of Minden, Iowa. In a recent meet and greet with Linder, he shared about his background. You know, we farm about 3,000 acres in central Ohio. We, we raise corn, soybeans, seed beans, and uh, a bit of soft red winter wheat. It's a partnership with my wife and my brother and our children are uh, becoming part of it. I have bought some farm ground and operating that on their own and, uh, you know, together with us. Don't get me wrong, but uh, it, looking forward to the opportunity for the grandchildren to into it so we're looking for the mobile generations to continue and by the way my mother is 93 and still living on the farm gets on a zero turn lawnmower to mower yard and gets in the car and goes to her store linder also discussed his goals for the upcoming year i would say that's kind of a moving target and i don't want to sound less than definitive but uh to begin with you know, we have a strategic plan, and probably the premier goal on that strategic plan right now is demand. So how can you name anything any different in the current environment for which COVID has put us into? And maybe a little bit on the tariff wars prior to that. Uh, it's sure fun to see the markets responding to the uh, latest USDA report that suggests our stocks are stepping down a bit as we make these these great sales. But one of my goals, I'll do everything in my power to help our industry recover and grow. And uh, another goal is to make sure that uh, our national board is definitely on track with uh, looking at everything as we roll out a recovery plan to everyone's benefit. So the board will be engaged in that process as well. And I'd like for a lot of people to probably get to know the board a little bit. So I plan on getting them out there and getting them into the countryside where we can uh, 
you know, which is kind of difficult in this current environment. So maybe some different type of uh, formats for that to take place. But I'd really like for folks to feel like we're approachable. We want to hear what's going on and in any incidental uh, anomalies that someone may be feeling that uh, we want to make sure we, that gets elevated to the national level. And finally, Linder shared about what he's looking forward to this year. I said in, in our uh, March uh, board meeting, which had to be done virtually, we weren't able to get together. I, I said afterwards, you know, if we were a virtual association, what would we be doing now? And thinking nothing of it, it would be the normal for the day. So as the things that I look forward to, I would have to say, like most people, the opportunity to get face-to-face again is, is probably one of the premier things that, that I'll feel uh, a great deal of reward to uh, be face-to-face with the growers that come from the states to represent us all. I uh, just uh, posted our our team appointments for the year. We have seven different action teams and a, a lot of board appointments. So monumental task, a really rewarding. Uh, it's fun to put a lot of people in place on what I would like to be able to call my team, but it's the board's team. And so getting getting back to face-to-face with them, I'm, I'm looking forward to engaging every activity that we have that I can be a part of. And possibly because I'm being virtually on, maybe make more than I would if I'd been traveling. So a lot to look forward to. Maybe coming out the other side on, on a positive note of even more demand. That would be just a, a wonderful place to uh, to plant my feelings of reward, right? So, But it'll take a team to do it. That again is John Linder of Edison, Ohio, as he's now serving as president of the National Corn Growers Association. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It is time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen has stepped in in another busy weekend of athletics. And does it feel weird to you? Uh, I know college football has been back for a couple of weeks, and I know Big Ten, Big Twelve are going to be playing here in the near future. But it just doesn't it doesn't seem right. It uh, doesn't. Uh, my guess is that'll change a little bit, mm-hmm. especially around here when the Huskers start. Uh, I've enjoyed watching K State games the last couple of weeks. So. Big Twelve's kind of yeah. all over the place. Uh, everybody's upsetting they each other. Eat their own young. That's what's <laughs> going on there. Well, Nebraska continues to inch towards its season opener against Ohio State. Now, the last couple of weeks have been very different for head coach Scott Frost following the death of his father, Larry. Yeah, I found out about both things uh, on the same day. Uh, the day they announced the season uh, was the day we lost Dad. Um, should have been a happy day, and it wasn't. You know, I kind of said that without without faith and hope, I don't know how people get through something like that. But I'm just glad uh, that I was blessed enough to have that kind of father. You know, a lot of people in in this country grow up without that type of father in the home, without two parents in the home. Now the Huskers will begin their season at Ohio State on October 24th. Subdistrict softball has started up today across the state in Class C. Southern Valley Almas hosting the C110. The Saints will play Chase County at three. At five, it's Cozad versus Gothenburg. And maker coach Ashley Ford says after an up and down regular season, she feels Cozad has started to put things together. Um, I think we're definitely hitting. Um, our stride and you know playing our best ball at the right time of the year I know that you know we needed to sure up a few things and I think that we're doing a pretty good job of that and just 
um, you know, going in with everything that we can control. It's been a season of near misses for the Swedes, and head coach Luke Day believes they've been right there against some good competition. We have, especially this last couple of weeks. Um, we've we've kept we've actually kept some pretty potent teams uh, pretty close, uh, and that was we we had some high optimism going into uh, uh, the uh, district tournament. Kozad has won 10 in a row in this series, dating mm. back to 2016. First pitch this afternoon is set for 5. We will bring you that game on Kemi Country. We will also broadcast the sub-district final at 7 on Kemi. Those of you in the Southern Valley, uh, Alma area, if you'd like to listen to that tonight, Eagles should be playing in that. Uh, Saints should be playing in that. Mm. Uh, you can catch that krvn.com. Now, going on over at the B9, both Adams Central and Lexington won in the first round. They'll be squaring off where they are at this point. That game just got underway. Major League Baseball playoffs this afternoon. It's Houston versus Oakland. Yankees take on Tampa Bay. Two NFL games with Kansas City against New England at 6.05. You can hear that game in the Holdridge area on KUVR. And the late game is Atlanta at Green Bay as they had to shuffle the deck a little bit with the NFL. I'm not sure which game is going to be better to watch. You have New England, who now Cam Newton's obviously not playing. So you have uh, great Brian Hoyer who's going to be playing against the Chiefs. And, well, we know how bad Atlanta's been all year. so it'll be But they've been close. They just can't hold a lead. No. No, it's been brutal to watch. If you're a Falcons fan, I feel bad for you. So. You'd, uh, you'd have to like the Chiefs' chances tonight. I think so. That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Thank you very much. And it is time for KRVN News, brought to you by 37 Ag in Holdridge. Ellen Simmons has now stepped in. And, Ellen, how was the weekend? It was good. It went by way too fast, though. Temperatures weren't too bad. No. No, it was easy to uh, be outside, I suppose. Boy, today's warming up. 80s already. <laughs> yeah. I'm not ready for hot weather again. You're I just, not. I just want it to be cool. That way, you can wear a sweatshirt. You know. Drink your pumpkin lattes. No, I hate pumpkin. It gives me a heartburn. Oh, like anything pumpkin. Well, no, but like pumpkin spice, sometimes it'll give me a heartburn. Okay. I, I can believe that. All right, very good. Uh, well, what do we have here in uh, local news? <laughs> well, the Central Nebraska Public Power and Irrigation Districts will lower Johnson Lake on October 8th, 2020, to facilitate maintenance on Central's uh, hydroelectric generation units. The lake level will drop around two feet, and levels will fluctuate with very low inflows for approximately 10 days. Following the 10 day, following the 10 day out, outage, uh, Johnson Lake will go through a hydrocycling period where the lake will continue to fluctuate until mid-November. Water levels at other lakes will not be affected by this drawdown. The prosecution called two witnesses on Friday in the murder trial of Bailey Boswell. The first witness, Nebraska State Patrol Lieutenant Lonnie Connolly, testified he was involved in searches on December 8, 2017, along Highway 41 and 15 along a route west of Wilbur toward Clay County. Under questioning from Assistant Attorney General Sandra Allen, Lieutenant Connolly testified he recovered several items of clothing. First piece uh, that we collected was a pair of men's underwear. Another piece we collected was a green shirt uh, with bleach stains on it. It was a large... Judge, I'm going to object to bleach stains or lack of foundation. The stain, the jury is instructed to disregard it. Did the green shirt appear to have some discoloration on it? Yes, it did. Okay. 
Those items were found along Highway 41, and Lieutenant Connolly said when they turned south along Highway 15, they located a size 7 bear pot boot, a heavy-duty green dishwashing glove, and two men's black socks. The prosecution then called UNMC forensic DNA analyst Melissa Haligso, who gave a PowerPoint presentation on how DNA testing is conducted on items submitted to the lab. Under questioning, she testified that bleach destroys DNA evidence. Now, we will have more updates um, from the uh, the trial from today with Bob Brogan later on today. People who went to Trinity Lutheran Church in Axtell on September 27th are asked to self-monitor for COVID-19 symptoms after the Two Rivers Public Health Department reported an individual who had tested positive for the virus. According to NTV News, Two Rivers officially officials says say the individual was present at the church during the Sunday morning service. They see people who attacked, attended are asked to self-monitor for symptoms for 14 days from the last time they were there at the location. Two Rivers' uh, common COVID-19 symptoms include coughing, shortness of breath, fever, loss of taste or smell, and allergy-like symptoms. If you have any concerns or questions, you're asked to contact the Two Rivers Public Health Department. Well, you can find more news at krvn.com. Thank you very much, Ellen. There's still a lot of questions when it comes to CFAP2. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. As I speak with FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce, he talks first about the livestock side of CFAP2. And we'll get additional guidance out, you know, as far as what is the definition of, of breeding stock. But basically, if you use cattle as an example, it's basically cows that have had calves or have calved and bulls that have been exposed to the herd. Um, if you have if you have bred heifers that haven't calved yet, they technically still are market animals. If you have young bulls that have not been exposed um, to a herd, those are still technically market animals. So it's basically cows that have calved and bulls that have been exposed to a herd. Um, and so so that's a that's a price trigger. So there are payment rates either if it's livestock per head, if it's dairy, it's a payment rate per hundredweight. If it's row crops, and depending on what the you know what the crop is, we have a payment rate um, for those row crops. And then finally, uh, a flat rate row crop or a flat rate crop category. And this is these are for ca- these are for commodities that either did not meet the five percent price decline trigger, or um, you know just not enough data to um, to calculate a price change. And also included in that would be some some crops that have relatively small acreages. Um, and so that is going to be a flat rate of $15 an acre. Um, and uh, so if you are a so if you're a producer of a commodity that's in the flat rate row crop category, uh, we're going to use your 2020 planted acre um, acreage number and multiply that by $15 an acre. What I love is I, as I read over the list of all the different things that you guys are covering um, this time, as I spoke to a producer uh, yesterday via social media, he was excited. I mean, obviously, he did the corn and the soybeans, but he also raises um, chickens uh, and raises eggs. So he was excited that that was included into it and complimented your staff on how easy the process was. But from specialty livestock to specialty crops, you guys this time really covered a huge gamut of agriculture. You know, we did, and, <clears throat> you know, again, it it, it was, um, you know, it was a pretty big lift for us in CFAP 1 
you know, to analyze all the data. Certainly, as, as we've talked before, Susan, you know, uh, we had data um, on, you know, major commodities and, you know, things that have price reporting mechanisms and so on. And so we were able to, to include those and roll those out first. And then, you know, we had a couple of different announcements as we continued with sign up for CFAP1 where we, you know, we asked the public for help and said, hey, you know, we need we need information and we'll analyze it and we'll make our decision. And, you know, that was a that took a that took a lot of time from a lot of folks. It was a, it was a pretty big effort. And, you know, if you think about what's the impact, um, you know, what's the impact to agriculture? Well, you know, it's pretty hard to say that it wasn't an impact just about to everything. So, you know, there's there are very few um, there are very few things that are produced on a farm or a ranch now that are not um, that are not included. You know, one of the th- one of those things not included would be like companion animals. So, um, you know, in that kind of livestock category, um, another um, you know kind of big acreage um, crop that's not included is hay. So any hay other than alfalfa, um, you know, is not included in 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 CFAP two either but we really tried to be as inclusive as we could you know we know again especially crop obviously a lot of those producers are are incredibly diversified and so you know they may be growing 10 or 12 different crops and you know it's it's very cumbersome not only for the producer but it's very cumbersome also for you know for our staff to be able to put those applications together when some are in some are out how do you you know from a producer's perspective how do you you know, isolate that. It takes incredible record keeping to be able to, you know, to isolate some of those things that maybe weren't in before and are in. And so we wanted to simplify it as best we could. And, and again, I think, you know, if you were to, if you were to pull the average producer, um, you know, and say what, what things you grow were not, have not been impacted by coronavirus, you know, I don't think there, I don't think there are many. So, so anyway, that was, that was kind of the basis and the, and, and the foundation around the decision to to include more things than not. So, if they signed up for CFAP, can they go back and sign up for CFAP two? Absolutely. Yep. So, so CFAP two is a separate program. Um, it has a separate payment limitation. Um, it is a standalone program. Um, you know, obviously there are some changes. Um, there are some changes in the program. Whether it's, you know, if you applied for livestock and CFAP 1, you're going to have to apply again, you know, for CFAP 2. Just because we're asking, a, a, the questions are a little different. Um, you know, the, the, the data that the producer is going to provide um, is, is a little different than, than what we did in CFAP 1. So it will require, uh, you know, a new application. Um, but if you were, if you applied for CFAP 1, um, that does not limit you in any way from applying for CFAP 2. And there is a deadline of December 11th, correct? December 11th is, is going to be the deadline um, for, you know, for sign up for CFAP 2. Those comments with FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It is time for the Midday Business Report, and uh, Dave Schroeder has stepped in. And Well, Dave, it looks like uh, numbers are rebounding a little bit, seeing a little more green here at this hour. Yeah, the Dow is up 340 points right now. The S&P up 46 points. The NASDAQ up 192 points. Uh, gold is up uh, 12 points, but uh, crude oil is up 
two points at $39 a barrel. Stocks are rising as hopes for economic aid from Washington help Wall Street shake off its initial reaction to sell after President Donald Trump tested positive for the coronavirus. Treasury yields, uh, health care and financial companies, uh, stocks overseas were all climbing after Trump and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi both noted the importance over the weekend of additional support for the economy. Add last-minute holiday shopping to the list of time-honored traditions being upended by the coronavirus pandemic. Retailers are kicking off the holiday season earlier than ever this year in hopes of avoiding big in-store crowds and shipping bottlenecks in November and December. Stores like Best Buy, Macy's, and Target typically offer their biggest Black Friday deals over Thanksgiving weekend, but now they're starting them in October so people don't crowd their stores later, creating a potentially dangerous situation during a pandemic. And with more people expected to shop online, retailers are trying to avoid a rush of orders closer to Christmas, which could lead to late packages and more expensive shipping. And may I insert just a personal view here of shopping locally as much Ah, as you can. Of course, I love the little plug. The downtown and airline travel amid coronavirus pandemic could lead to years of decreased flights to fewer destinations from Kansas airports. The Kansas News Service reports the number of passengers who boarded flights at Dwight D. Eisenhower Airport in Wichita this year has dropped 57% compared to 2019. At its lowest point in April, there was a day when only 63 people flew out of Wichita Airport. Normally, that airport sees about 2,300 passengers a day and a lot more during peak travel seasons. Reporting on the Business Report, I'm Dave Schroeder. Thank you very much, Dave. Coronavirus Crisis. What's your name? Karina. Karina, hi. Before Karina Dua gets on her flight from Tampa to Boston, she's taking a COVID-19 antibody test as part of a new pilot program offered at Tampa International. Just to kind of have the confidence going onto the plane that I'm COVID-free and that when I arrive and my friends pick me up in Boston, that I won't bring anything bad to them. The program allows passengers the option to take either a PCR nasal swab for 125 bucks, the results available in about 48 hours, or the antibody tests for $57. The results of those take just 15 minutes, though it can be slightly less accurate. They can do about 150 tests per day. There are some destinations that require a negative PCR test to avoid quarantining upon arrival. Tests are being run from 8 a.m. until 2, seven days a week in the month of October. At Tampa International, Josh Cassio, Fox News. Coronavirus crisis. We're giving away the 2020 Blazer soon, but you still have time to put your name in the hat. This Saturday night from 6 to 8, the Blazer will be at the first annual Rank 1 15-15 shootout at the Dawson County Fairgrounds in Lexington. The gates open at 6, the Bulls start bucking at 7. Enjoy barbecue while you watch and plan to stay for the fireworks and the concert featuring Borderline in the beer garden following the shootout. It's all at the first annual Rank 1 15-15 shootout this Saturday night in Lexington.
As of October 1, John Linder of Edison, Ohio, took the helm as president of the National Corn Growers Association. During a recent meet and greet with Linder, ag policy was a hot topic. As growers continue to see uncertainty with the EPA and its implementation of the Renewable Fuel Standard, Linder shared how he views his role in ensuring the RFS remains strong. Advocacy is uh, one thing, but uh, making sure that they uphold the law, the Tenth Circuit uh, decision on SREs, uh, obviously it's being contested right now. And so we're having those conversations with the EPA and, and Administrator Wheeler on you know, how do, how do you proceed? You know, and obviously, you know, he is, is saying, I'm waiting to see how the uh, rules come out after uh, they're contested. But uh, it's the law. It, it was in the original RFS and the 10th Circuit Court agreed with us. So that's what we need to remind him every day that uh, irregardless, we have to, to obey the law. And the president said 15 billion gallons is 15 billion gallons. And he's going to hear that a lot as well at Administrator Wheeler as well, so has to uh, has to be uh, voiced a lot. We'll be there every day talking about about it any day that we get the opportunity. And Linder added that so far he's had good communications with EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler. Current administration I, at EPA, I'm I'm pleasantly impressed, um, challenged as well. Don't get me wrong. There's it's it's seemingly. Uh, a double-edged sword a bit because when you meet with folks and talk with them uh, they they do feel like they've got your best interest but yet they're faced with opposition that we're faced with and so they're answering to multiple audiences and trying to administrate very difficult things that uh, require enormous amount of, of lift and so you know, we, we have to advocate for our side. There's no two ways about it. They are open to our conversations and our dialogue. I've had a conference call with uh, Administrator Wheeler. I've met uh, Administrator Wheeler in Ohio on a farm. Next week, I've got an opportunity to meet with uh, Administrator Wheeler again on a farm in Ohio. So, you know, all topics that are relative to ag are being raised, and those conversations are great to have, and I've found administrator to be friendly and in, in dialogue and, and uh, it's it's a dialogue neither one uh, goes away feeling like but well, we just got a lecture no we have conversations and they're healthy another ag policy topic that was discussed was the coronavirus food assistance program payments or cfap and when asked if the payments are enough for corn farmers or if more money is needed i don't believe that there's any amount of dollar that can make farmers whole that uh, you could actually uh, justify Congress coming up with. It, all these should keep folks in the game, but you know, we've done a really good job at NCGA of, of taking those uh, those grower leaders and coming to decisions with our risk management and working on this, the tools that help uh, provide that safety net without government dollars. But uh, rest assured, the idea that every uh, farmer out there and every corn producer out there uh, really is working toward is, is self-sustainability where we we really don't need anything beyond our safety nets to keep us whole. So we're not looking to be whole, but yes, those certainly help get to the other side. Uh, do we need more? Yeah, we need more. You can bet. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. <laughs> 
Clay Patton on the World Radio Network. Let's look at the grain settlements now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. And John, for the most part, grain's actually ending the grain here today. A little bit shaky for corn and soybeans there at the close, but we had a strong leader so far on the day. Is this more in response to currency action or is this actually replying to fundamentals of the grain trade with dryness really seen around the globe right now? Well, you have China in the market every day, you know, buying, I'm going to say more than we expect. This is projected that they were going to buy this, but I think that the totals now are maybe going to be a little higher, at least on the bean side, um, than they expect, than a lot of folks had estimated. So now you start to see them inching estimates higher. So you're having estimates go from 2.25 billion up to 2.4 billion, but when you do that, that's 150 million bushels. You know, that's not a small amount. In corn, we can kind of get tricked into thinking, oh, 100 million here, 200 million there. It doesn't affect things as much. But when you start moving them around in soybeans, especially given the demand we see, you have, um, you know, you have that factor. And then also, again, weather markets. I mean, this is a global market now. We have to, to know and, and understand how the weather is working in Brazil and in the Black Sea. And, and Black Sea's planting wheat. The U.S. is planting wheat. It's dry. And in Brazil, it's been dry and warm. Now, it's supposed to change, but those are forecasts. And these forecasts come and go, and they take away rain, and they add rain. Uh, and if we would, if worst-case scenario happens, we don't get rain in Brazil, and they say 10% yield comes off the top there, then you throw in the fact that, uh, you know, U.S. demand is strong, both on the crush side and on the, on the uh, export demand side. It's kind of, you kind of don't know where, the, where, where, where can the rationing come from here. And it's got to either come from China stopping to buy, which certainly could be possible, or it's, um, you know, prices have to go up to kind of shut off the crush demand. So it's short term here, uh, obviously a bullish story. This is usually when, like I say, ducks are in the air here, um, you know, 1040, 1080. I mean, we're going to be there for a reason. This is the reason. Uh, do you sell it or do you hold? I mean, I, again, it's a personal preference would be to eliminate some risk here ahead of the election, but I understand folks who don't want to. And John as well, talking about China and trying to find out that rationing, they've been on holiday. Their currency hasn't moved because they set their own pace. Does anything look to drastically change with them coming back this week? Well, you know, that's where the kind of Trump illness comes into play. You know, what what is he going to say? What is the rhetoric going to be? The next two months, I mean, it's, it's, there's, uncertainty for me to come on the radio and say there's so much uncertainty there's always uncertainty but right now it just feels a little bit hot more leverage than normal john payton senior marketing analyst daniel zag marketing more daniel zag marketing.com to remember trading futures and options involve risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors thank you very much clay that'll wrap up this monday edition of midday if you missed anything you want to go back and listen to any of the segments Listen to our midday podcast sponsored by Devenny Motors. That's available on iTunes or KRVN.com.